The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. You are now listening to Know the Score, presented by the CSPN. You can visit our website at knowthescore.cspn.us, follow us on Twitter at KTSPod, and keep the conversation going using the hashtag KTSPod. I am your host, Tyler Ball. You can find me on Twitter at TABall1. I'm here today with my co-host and my partner in crime, Don DeLaRente, and you can find him on Twitter at Don DeLaRente. What's going on, Don? Hey, what's going on, Tyler? How are you? I'm good, man. Um, we're we're kind of close to the NFL season. I'm, I'm a bit excited. Yes, yes. I um, don't like to see the training camp reports of injuries, but it just goes with, you know, this time of year. All right, today we're going to preview the AFC East as we are uh, really seven Saturdays away from uh, kickoff weekend. So, uh, of course, we picked the AFC East to start off with because they are the division where the Super Bowl champions uh, reside. That would be the New England Patriots. Um, but first, uh, you know, I want to still keep our mind fresh on basketball. And while it is it's the summer and it's AAU, so, you know, sometimes you have to take things with a grain of salt. But at the same time, one of the biggest stories in the country is the big baller brand. So, now that Lonzo Ball has kind of begun his his takeover, uh, finishing as the MVP of the NBA Summer League, we go to the baby of the big baller crew, LaMelo Ball, as he got a chance to shine on a national stage as, they took, as his uh, big baller brand team took on uh, uh, SC Supreme AAU team, which is the squad of the number two player in the 2017 senior class, uh, Zion Williamson. Uh, who you may have seen on YouTube with highlight reel dunks. Uh, he's about 6'8", 240 pounds, uh, kind of kind of built like a bigger version of, of LeBron James and when he was in high school, very explosive. Uh, and people have been waiting for this matchup for, for quite a while. Um, the game uh, packed with a uh, small exhibit hall uh, known as the Cashman Center, um, approximately 3,500 attended. Several NBA stars such as uh, Andrew Wiggins, Dane Lillard, um, Eric Gordon, Don Maker, uh, Jamal Murray, and of course Lonzo Ball were in attendance. LeBron James was uh, considering coming into the building and his security team advised him not to try because the game was oversold and jam-packed. The game actually lived up to the hype. Um, SC Supreme, which was a better squad, ended up winning 104-92. However, LaMelo, in his uh, really his first major competition of the year, uh, he shined with uh, scoring uh, 31 points with nine assists and seven rebounds. Um, got his team stayed pretty much within himself. Not not too many wild shots until his team was, you know, until the game was already decided. But uh, he looked pretty good. Um, Zion Williamson uh, ended up with 28 points. Uh, he didn't get to display the highlight real dunks because uh, Big Baller Brand uh, decided to double-team him every time he got the ball. Um, however, he did ice the game with a breakaway off of a uh, Lavello turnover, which uh, which was what the crowd came to see. So uh, several media left the game impressed. And uh, so far, I believe personally that Lamelo Ball will be a star in the making. However, he's got to deal with his dad. Um, Don, uh, we were discussing before before we aired uh, just the effect of his dad and how uh, Lamelo is 
you know, he's got two years with, with his father before he uh, assumedly joins the UCLA Bruins. Um, can you describe how his father may be a positive or a, a negative in the, this stage of LaMelo's development? To me, uh, we were talking, you know, before we came on, I think that LaMelo has his own charisma that he might not, as speaking as LaVar, may not need to be as out front with him because I think personally LaMelo has his own type of charisma that's going to put him out front wherever he goes on his own. And, you know, his dad, I think, might make it a little bit too much where I think Lonzo's personality was a little bit more reserved. He didn't have that natural outward charisma that you can see, you know, and so I think that it was warranted for LeVar to, you know, pump him up and, and, and get him out there because he probably would have just been another face in the crowd without it. Um, it was very calculated, I thought, because the real height from LeVar Ball didn't really come until towards the end of the season. Um, and then after the tournament, you know, then it was all about, you know, my boy is going to do this and my boy is going to do that. And you know, we're going to bring the Lakers back and blah, blah, blah. Because I don't know if the Lakers were really talking about drafting uh, uh, Lonzo Ball before, you know, LeVar started hyping it and, and putting it, you know, this is my destiny. This is what I saw for my son. And now they're in a position where they can make it come true and we're going to make it happen. And, and so, you know, and with the personality that Lonzo has, it worked because, you know, he wasn't going to go out there and hype himself. But LaMelo, I think he's got his own thing going on. And LaVar just needs to chill. He's got Lonzo where he wants him to be. Um, Leangelo is at UCLA. You know, you know, he's on his way. So, you know, you've done what you said you wanted to do. So now just lay back and, you know, chill out a little bit. You don't have to go so hard. You've proven to everybody that you can you can do it. You, you You've proven, you know, you can get your kids to – the upper echelon of basketball in Los Angeles and California. So, you know, fall back and, and, and coast a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to uh, have some concerns because now he's letting his personal views kind of dictate, um, you know, it may, it's going to be associated with the brand. Uh, he had an incident where he was given a technical foul by a women's official and behind the scenes, there was the decision was aided to remove that official from the from not only from the game um from i mean from her next assigned game also uh, not only did they replace that official they added a second women's official to uh lavar's next game to show some solidarity uh that's a point where he's he has spoken out against um his designs uh for the big baller brand not meant for women and uh his he's used one of his monikers uh stay in your lane to retort uh, some criticism about knocking, um, not making apparel geared towards women. And then, of course, a YouTube video services with uh, three young ladies. Uh, uh, mark, they were marketed as friends of the three, the three, uh, the three boys, presumably uh, their girlfriends, um, coming out in big baller brand uh, crop tees. So, you know, I think that LeVar needs to sometimes fall back on some of his personal views and remain focused on his, uh, his players and obviously his, uh, his children. I mean, they're his children first, then they're his players. So I don't think he's going to have an effect on Lonzo's career going forward as Lonzo is a Laker and you're not going to, uh, you're not going to go up against Magic Johnson in Los Angeles. He knows that that's not a battle you want to fight a battle that you're going to win. Um, Right now, I think the focus needs to be on making LaMelo the future star that he can be. Um, 
Adidas has gotten behind Chino Hills. Actually, they outfit the entire team. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Big Paula Brea AAU team is probably 90, 95% of the team that's going to be the varsity of Geno Hills basketball. So uh, a lot of these guys you're going to be seeing for the next two years or so with uh, LaMelo as, you know, as LaMelo matures and gets better, these guys are going to get better too. Um, well, I but, think that the, the worst version of LaVar Ball is clearly the coach, LaVar Ball, uh, you know, the incidences um, that you know that were coming out um, earlier in the summertime and the spring about just you know what he did to the, the undermine the old coach and, and get into the role of being the coach and then you know these actions of refusing the technical and you know at a camp that he was invited to you know it wasn't like that they were you know going to be there one way or the other you know Adidas you know sent out the special invitation and then he's up there you know becoming more the focus than the actual kids on the court. And that's where I have a problem with the act. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to do this during when no basketball is being played and you're banging a drum for your kids. But once they're actually on the court, then you definitely need to fall back and not be the sideshow and turn yourself into the main event when everybody's here to watch the kids. And, and, and here's the, here is another issue that, um, that I have also. Um, he is pointing to the fact that he really believes that, that the big baller brand, meaning him, is box office. He's starting to see the fact that these crowds are coming to see his team play. And he, he feels like he is a part of the brand. I mean, yes, he has a big role in it, but is it bigger? Is the brand bigger than him is the question. And now well, we've got all these crowds out there. Here you go. He's going to make an argument. Well, because the kids are, are minors right now. You know what I'm saying? Except for, you know, Alonzo. So, yeah, everything has to come through him. So I could see that, you know, like, you know, he got from being just the overzealous, my kid is so good dad, to being off all the ESPN shows, to being on Monday Night Raw. So, you know, of course, he's starting to see that, yeah, me running my mouth is getting me into places two years ago I couldn't dreamed of. So, you know, it, it's not like it doesn't have its merit. Yeah, and I think that um, eventually it's got to be about the kids. I mean, you know, you don't. I mean, I don't test his fatherhood because his fatherhood's not a part of the discussion. But you can you can talk about his coaching, which I don't think is any different from any other uh, kids that's coaching. I mean, there was a video that surfaced after they lost where he he clearly points out that Lamelo was a focal point of the loss. I mean. Lamelo was was selfish. Lamelo took bad shots. I mean, he simply pointed that out. Um, however, because it's Lavar Ball, he he's talking about he loses his. You know, the 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 selling point of the video is that he loses his mind, and it's you know he he's laying into Lamelo. Nothing different from what you see from any other level of coaching, where the coach talks to the star player. That's what it's about. He points out the weaknesses of the star. Uh, Trying, warning the star that the game isn't bigger than he is. That's that's all he was saying. He he spoke the truth. I don't have an issue with him actually coaching until he goes into parts that aren't a part of the game. And yes, he pulled his team up off the floor for cheating while he for, he pulled his team off the floor because he felt the rest for cheating his kids in a game they were up by ten points. So what you saying? I mean, I know you have principles, but at the same time. Your, your players can go out there and be bigger than what's than adversity that's in front of them. So they were already proving that having had a 10 point lead. So yes, I don't think that was, that was the wise move at that time. 
yeah, so, you know, hopefully, like we're saying, he can kind of take a, you know, he's definitely playing off of the Richard Whitman's playbook, and hopefully he can do like Richard did and get to a point where he can say, okay, my work is done, I can fall back and just let me enjoy my kids being great, and now let everybody put me on camera and talk about me and say, hey, I used to be the crazy guy that used to talk loud, but actually I was the prophet, and, you know, look at what I gave to the world, and that's kind of how Richard Williams is kind of faded graciously into the success of his daughters, you know? And you look at, you look at Earl Woods, um, you know, obviously until he, until he was no longer with us, he eventually took a backseat after the Hello World campaign. Um, Tiger kind of brought him back to the forefront after he won the U S open. How, uh, but um, his father took, took a step back. Um, and we hope that LeVar eventually, and yes, he does have a brand brand to promote. That's a little bit different, but, at the same time, ironically, he wears the T-shirt, stay in your lane. And I don't think a message or slogan is any more fitted. And I hope that LeVar Ball actually uh, follows the advice that he's giving out to his detractors uh, and stay within his lane. Um, as we move forward into the National Football League, uh, we just want to remind you that we have a sister podcast out now, uh, the Gridiron Gals. I uh, want to give a shout out to... Um, to Rita, the NFL chick, and Shells, and Shells is right on Twitter. Um, they have a football-themed podcast here on the CSPN. Um, their first cast of the season is out right now, and we invite you to listen. So we at No Discord kind of take a backseat to them when it comes to all things football. However, uh, they actually take a backseat to us and everything else. So um, the Gridiron guys give you everything you need when it comes to the pigskin. So we invite you to listen to them all season long. Uh, whether it be college or pro football. So all you have to do is just go on down iTunes or go on SoundCloud while it's still around and download the Gridiron Gals and just give them a listen. And I can tell you now that they're great people to hang out with. I've actually met them in person. Shell's uh, actually has, Shell's best friend and I are old friends. So we were, we, we've kind of known each other for quite a while. Rita is hilarious. Uh, and they, you know, they go hard for their teams. So Rita is a, Baltimore Ravens fan, while Chels is a Dallas Cowboy fan, just like me. So we can, you know, we I, we identify the same sentiment. But uh, they give they give you football not only from a women a women's perspective, but a fan's perspective as well. So good eye guys on the CSPN. Tune in today. We look forward to the NFL. Of course, um, we're now in training camp. Uh, as of today, all teams, all players will be in participating in camp and we have some holdout news in addition to injuries um don um, i've got three specific holdouts that we can look at before we get into our preview uh, one is one of the best defensive tackles of the game Aaron donald uh, for the la rams for the uh la rams we look at uh Le'Veon bell of course for the steelers who did not sign his franchise tender yet um you can also look at uh um Donald Penn, left Donald tackle, Penn, left tackle yes, for the, for the L.A. Raiders, who is uh, he believes he's outplayed his contract. So uh, just talk about the holdouts and how how important those players are to the teams. The first thing that jumps out at me are these are players that play positions that tend to have a high injury rate during training camp and preseason defensive line running back. Um, so one thing is definitely an injury concern, I'm sure, that they're looking at as well. It's not mandatory that I don't be here. You know, I'm going to make my grievances known and I'll be there August 15th or whenever they have to um, 
they have to report. I know that Le'Veon Bell, since he's still under contract, you know, he has a date that he actually has to sign the franchise tag and come to camp. And basically, he's going to wait up until that day before he does any type of moves. So he's just playing the game out the way the game needs to be played out in his best interest and for his health. And I'm pretty sure that's, you know, what Aaron Donald and Donald Penn are thinking as well. Um, I know that we brought up uh, when Kirk Cousins was, you know, they were coming up on this day that you got to get your franchise tag player signed for long-term deals. Uh, we talked about Le'Veon Bell and kind of what the thinking was with him. And I brought up that, hey, with him, he's a unique case because he could probably move out to be a receiver at some point in his career if you don't want him to keep getting hit so much. And in this negotiation, what he's trying to get done is to get paid as a number two receiver to justly bump up the whole running back pay scale. Cause right now uh, on the franchise tag, he's going to make $8 million a year. Whereas Kirk cousins on the franchise tag is going to make like $24 million a year. So just it's a big disparity in, you know, the position and running back being one of the lowest paid now positions in the league. He's trying to get classified as like, Hey, my value was more because I can do more. So pay me more. And in turn, he's thinking that that's going to help the other running backs as well. So he's he's going to be a very interesting case. The Raid, uh, excuse me, the Steelers usually tend to look out for their own, um, especially players that they draft and, and come up through their system. They usually do a good job holding on to them. So it'll just be interesting to see at what number and you know guarantees and everything that Le'Veon Bell um, gets. As far as Aaron Donald. Um, Interesting, you know, he's coming in, new coach, new regime. Um, you know, you figure that maybe this year he might kind of forego kind of the contract talk just to kind of get in and get in good with the new staff and kind of be a leader and show that type of uh, approach maybe and just kind of let it be known in the press that, hey, you know, I'm unhappy with my deal, but I'm here in camp and I'm showing up to be a team guy. But he's taking this approach and, you know, I hope he gets his money because he's clearly the most dominating player um, on the defensive line uh, in football right now. Um you know, so whatever contract he's going after, he definitely deserves it. And then, um, you know, when you pay your quarterback a whole bunch of money, the guy who basically is his bodyguard just feels like he should get a little bit more money too because your quarterback can't look good if your left tackle isn't good. And so, you know, Donald Penn's like, hey, I've been the standout um, past three seasons, you know. And that's the thing with football. The rookie deals are so low as far as your salary. Yeah, it's cool to make $50 million at one time when you, you know, sign your name and then all of a sudden they throw all this money in your bank account. But then it sucks when you actually play football every week and you get beat up and your check's like, you know, $110,000. And it's it's interesting you bring up, it's interesting that you bring up the money um, right now because uh, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. kind of spoke out um, it, within his own desire to be, quote unquote, the highest paid player in the league. Um, he is speaking to his um, his value more than anything else, and um, not only has uh, Beckham outperformed his contract, but uh, he is saying on a sentiment where football is slowly becoming his job. Um, it's it's a business where he's an at will employee. Um, he feels like he's the top three wide receiver, and he's making only one point eight million a year, which is essentially robbery. Um, you know, he's gonna he's in camp, he's doing what he's supposed to do. But he feels like he wouldn't be. Um, he it would he would be remiss if he didn't speak out. So right, that's, I, mean, that's, I mean, there's there's different approaches. You know, you can be the guy who shows up and speaks out, and, and I mean, everybody knows in the front or in the front office, the beat reporters, the other players, everybody knows that when you get to this, you know, third and fourth year of a rookie deal and you've been a three-time Pro Bowl player and you've got all the endorsements, things like that, everybody knows that you're grossly underpaid as far as your quote-unquote contract. 
goes. So, you know, everybody knows that the rumbling is coming and some teams are just smart and say, okay, we'll rip it up and, you know, start to overpay, you know, your little $1 million that you're going to make. And then next year, the extension kicks in and you make whatever your market value is. And some teams like to play it the long way. Hey, you know, of course, Odell's, you know, on the field antics probably don't help him out in the negotiating room. And it's like, oh, well, we want to see you keep your nose clean for another season before we negotiate and give you all this money because we don't want to see you, you know, get paid. And then everything goes haywire just because of what his past has been. But, you know, if he's not going to get it from the Giants, he's going to get it from somebody. So it's better to keep these once in a generational players on your team than let them go to somebody else and be fantastically great. Tyler, you're actually on mute right now, bud. Uh, this is the key. Uh, you're talking about not guaranteed contracts. And I think that right. that eventually um, something's going to have to be done. Richard Sherman has already come to the forefront about players striking, which I think is impossible right now because you don't have enough leverage to get enough players to strike for you. And on top of that, he brought up another issue, uh, the fans. You're not going to get the fans to support you in a strike. And plus the NFL, they, on the average, have the most players living basically check by check. I know that's hard to fathom as a, you know, as a working regular person that a professional athlete would be living basically check by check, but they have more guys on the fringes, like more just regular paid guys. And there's no way that the 5% of guys at the top can ask those 95% of guys at the bottom to be like, Hey, sit out a year and not make any money. And, you know, whatever bills and things that you have occurred that you're figuring you're going to pay off when you get your football checks start coming back to you, you know, it's going to be hard. That may last for, you know, in the summertime, that may be cool when the checks aren't supposed to come. But when you start getting to, you know, Halloween and you're supposed to be getting that first paycheck, you know, things change up a lot quickly for those guys at the bottom than your Drew Breeses and your Richard Sherman's and, you know, your guys who've had two or three contracts and sit nice and, and, you know, presumably have invested well and, and done those things. So NFL is in a difficult situation with their business model because everybody agrees that the players should get paid a lot more than they do. But with the injury risk, there's no way that the owners wouldn't just be always in the red. So, you know, they are going to have to kind of find a balance. Maybe the way that Kirk Cousins is operating on this kind of year-to-year guaranteed money big lump sums of money, it might be the new way that players have to go for a while to kind of secure that, um, you know, just nest egg of cash versus having the security of, well, I'm going to be here for four years making, you know, $5 million a season or whatever for these next four years. They may instead just have to say, well, let me play this one year at this 20 and speed up these four years and then, you know, maybe play another year again on the contract and then, now we've got $50 million of actual real money. And now I can go out here and sign a long-term contract. And if they cut me in two seasons, I've made $70 million of actual money. And we because, you know, a lot of these NFL contracts, even though they're really big and they have really big numbers, the way they work it is, let's say they sign you for eight years at $64 million. Well, what they'll do is they'll give you 32 of that $64 million up front. So now you have really like an eight-year contract at $32 million, And now you're getting $4 million broken up into sixteen. Different paychecks. Paychecks, right. And, you know, when you get your paychecks, we want you to uh, spend some of it at Amazon. Uh, you visit CSPN.us and then you click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. And from there, you can scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. And when you get your paychecks, you need to purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, and apparel. And for every purchase made on Amazon through our link, 
Amazon sends to CSPN a payment that helps keep the podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Don't forget Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. And as we look at uh, folks and their paychecks uh, getting a little bit smaller, um, we go to Baltimore where uh, center John Urschel has announced his retirement from the NFL to pursue a career in mathematics. Uh, this is related to the report that came out earlier this week that uh, in a research study uh, out of 110 uh, brain scans uh, following players that played football, uh, 109 of them are practically 99% uh, came out positive for uh the disease uh, CTE, which is a syndrome that affects uh, cognitive reasoning in the brain. Um, John Urschel uh, is a, you know, he's been pretty famous for his smarts. He even got featured in a commercial with J.J. Watt earlier this summer. Um, he is He's also the guy who plays in the commercial they have out now where he's playing chess with all the kids, right? It's like 50 yep. different games of chess, and he's just like walking down the line. That's him, right? That is him. Um, he is yeah. he's actually going to pursue a Ph.D. full-time at MIT, um, he wrote a piece uh, four seasons ago from in the Players' Tribune called Why I Still Play Football, where he talked about uh, Chris Borland, who's the man who walked away from the NFL at 24 and returned a $463,000 signing bonus uh, because of the fears of CTE. Urschel um, uh, is going to pay back uh, about thirty-six grand of his uh, four-year bonus that he got when he signed as a rookie. Um, he's known for his... Um, Passions, as we mentioned, chess and uh, and math. He's uh, you know he's he's a big math guy, and he feels like he wants to take advantage of this opportunity to um, to do research while he still has all of his faculties. Literally, um, you also have a you know this CTE stuff can also affect um, high schoolers. Um, you look at Brother White, who is a nationally ranked quarterback, brother who who was going to be a starter at Arizona State. Um, White appeared on the Dan Patrick show this week to explain why he's going to be attending Princeton over several five, power five BCS schools, um, including Arizona state where his brother is. Um, do you think that this issue with CTE is going to affect, uh, decisions of players, um, you know, not only where they go to school, but, uh, just a focus on seeking, uh, quality educations, um, as White. White indicated he felt like he would have a more powerful network if he went through the process of going to Princeton and earning his degree from there instead of, you know, playing for a Power Five school because he feels like the NFL can find you anywhere. Um, I think CTE is going to greatly diminish the pool of future football players. Uh, guys who have already gotten to this high school, college level, pro level that are in it, okay, the risk is what the risk is. Hopefully they can... Um, you know, find out some measures to have less risk. But I think what this study does is somebody who may have a six-year-old son right now and is looking at their kid going, I want to put him in sports. I think football gets taken off the list completely now um, just because, you know, you want to look out for your kid down the line 50 years from now. And playing football is obviously, I mean, we already knew the physical tolls on hips and joints and knees and, and things like that. But now that it's you know, really affecting your brain and how you, you know, function as far as your thinking and your memory and just your behavior, behavior changes and things like that. You know, that's very scary for a parent um, of a young kid, 
because, you know, they're saying that if you play any type of football at this point, that you're susceptible to this. It's not like blowing your knee out where, you know, some guys play their whole career, never have a knee injury. And some people are Thomas Davis and blow the knee out back to back, you know. So, you know, there's no randomness to it, as in all the other injuries that seem to occur on a football field. Um, I think it may lead to more of a look at not only equipment, but just the fundamentals of playing football again may have to have to be reevaluated. I mean, you know, as far as tackling guys, not tackling with their helmets, trying to, you know, hit guys more with their shoulders and, and wrapping up with more of a form, bringing their bodies and not just leading with their heads. But that still doesn't really um, compensate for what the linemen do, because, I mean, they basically go face to face, crash into each other a hundred times a game. So, you know, they would still get the effects of having their brains moved around. So, I mean, we're probably that it used to be the future when we watched it on the Jetsons, but I mean, we're probably really going to be watching mech football one day where it's going to be Android machines out there playing the game because the toll on a human body is just too much. Just a reminder that you are listening to the CSPN. This is know the score. Don't forget to follow us on KTS pod and eventually during our season, during football season, particularly you can find us on our hashtag KTS pod. We're not going to talk about our first divisional preview, the AFC Eastern division. Uh, you have four teams that make up the AFC East, uh, the new England Patriots, Miami Dolphins, uh, Buffalo Bills, and the New York Jets, the New York Jets. And that's essentially the order of finish um, pretty much for this season. Um, we can first start talking about the New England Patriots. Of course, last season they, they won the Super Bowl in dramatic fashion, uh, coming back from uh, being down 28-3. to three. Um, However, they emerged as one of the winners of the offseason in free agency, having picked up one of the top DBs in the NFL in uh, Stephon Gilmore at corner, and they also picked up a dangerous slot receiver in Brandon Cooks. They also added uh, Trey Flowers. Um, I there's already talks about the Patriots actually going undefeated once again. Um, what's your uh, viewpoint on the New England Patriots? Uh, New England is loaded, man. I mean, the few little cracks that they did have as far as, you know, secondary not being as strong as it had been in the past, they sure that up by getting stuff on Gilmore. Um, not having a deep threat, somebody who could stress the field, you know, be a quick strike option for Brady. Um, they fixed that by trading for Brandon Cooks. Um, they brought back Hightower, so their linebacking core is stable. Um, you know, LeGarrette Blunt led the league in rushing touchdowns last year, so, I mean, they're efficient when they get in the red zone, throwing or passing. I, you know, I don't know if they're going to go undefeated just because it's very hard to have that focus for 16 weeks and injuries, you know, creep in there and so forth and so on. But, I mean, just as we start the season, just looking through this long scope, uh, yeah, they're definitely the favorites, and you know this division. If anybody gets within three games of them, it'll be a miracle. Because I mean, Patriots are going to be fourteen, fifteen win team again this year. As we look at the other, we look at the other three teams in the division. Um, I'm just going to be upfront. Um, not, we're not going to even think about other teams qualifying for the playoffs. Can any of these teams get to nine wins? I mean, it's pretty bad. Depending on the schedule. And um, just another year of advancement for Ryan Tannehill and Adam Gase as a head coach and play caller. The Dolphins would be my team to get to the nine win edge, maybe 10 if, you know, field goal goes right or lucky bounce the ball. Um, the second half of the year, 
their passing game finally caught up to their running game. You know, Jay had a couple of 200 yard rushing games and, you know, then people started kind of focusing on him and then Tannehill and Parker and Landry and uh, Steels as well, um, you know, kind of got going. And, uh, you know, so the second half of the season, they, they look really good. Um, it's just, you know, their pass defense leaves a little to be desired. And uh, that's kind of in that division where you're playing against Brady twice a year. That's the one place where you really can't be, be, you know, faulty is on pass coverage. So if they can kind of sure up their secondary, we know what their line is. Their line is one of the best defensive lines in the in the league. Their linebacking course pretty fast. So if they can get their secondary, you know, straightened out, the Dolphins could, you know, contend for a wild card. Yeah, and that was before picking up speaking of their defensive defensive backfield, that was before picking up Byron Maxwell, who has uh gotten the infamous toast nickname from several media outlets. So uh Maxwell's gonna have a lot to prove as he steps in for the Dolphins because he's going to get a lot of attention being thrown his way. Um, and as for uh, Buffalo, uh, Buffalo has a lot of offensive pieces. However, the defense is terrible. Um, they made a, a great draft pick in taking um, uh, to Darius, uh, Darius White from, from USC. Um, I mean, he's, he's pretty good, but uh, I, I really don't know what they're going to have on, on the defensive end because they had a lot of injuries, uh, particularly to uh, – Shaq Lawson and Reggie Ragland, who were probably going to be the two best defensive players. Um, much, much talk was about them playing right away, and then, of course, they get hurt. So uh, Sean McDermott, the new coach, has some work to do. Um, he's, a, he's an offensive guy, so I expect Buffalo to be a little bit better, but not a threat to the Dolphins for that wild card. That's not the guy who used to be with the Panthers, Sean McDermott? I thought he was That's the exactly who he is. But anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so – so I, I, I think that Tyrod Taylor is actually going to benefit the most because he's going to come from Ron Rivera School of um, Coaching, which means you've been dealing with Cam Newton and that kind of style of player. And also, these defensive coaches seem to have a lot more tolerance for the running quarterback because they understand by having to prepare for them as defense coordinators that, you know, the running quarterback does pose a, a, a unique threat. So defensive coaches kind of, you know, let the running quarterbacks, um, you know, tend to not try to rein them in as much as a offensive minded coach would. So I think that defensively that they're kind of going to be in a good spot because he's, you know, going to let Tyrod Taylor do what he does. If Sammy Watkins can come back and play a full season with his foot um, and give them that outside deep threat. Um, Shane McCoy uh, was like third in the league and rushing touchdowns. He's always a threat to take at 60 uh, whenever he touches the ball. So if the defense can kind of get with what Sean McDermott is going to bring, he's not going to really play a lot of fancy defense he doesn't you know those Panthers weren't really a blitz heavy team they were just very you know fundamentally sound um play gap control you know big guys take up the blocks on the running game linebackers shoot in there make all the tackles and then you know just be you know a good tackling team in the secondary and you know so I don't know if Buffalo really is going to need a lot of spectacular you know talent on defense because they're not going to play really play a style if he kind of brings what he brought from Carolina over to Buffalo, they're not going to really be playing an attacking, aggressive, in-your-face style. So if they're just fundamentally sound, their defense may jump up enough where they can, you know, get seven, eight, eight and eight again. Maybe, you know, be on the fringes, be, you know, last two weekends of the season, they're mathematically alive for a playoff berth. And finally, we have the Jets. Oh, boy. Um, 0-16, maybe? Um, the most, most of it's the NFL, man. Nobody goes on 16. It's hard to go on 16. It's hard. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we could talk to a guy that just, that was just, uh, re just resigned, uh, Dan Arlovsky, who, uh, <laughs> who led the great Detroit lions to the last 0 and 16 record. Um, now they still have, um, excuse me. They still have, um, 
Bowles is her coach, right? Yeah. Yeah, and this okay. is going to be a um, major year for Bowles because Bowles being a defensive guy, uh, he, his basically his top five players are on the defensive side of the ball. So you don't expect the Jets to get blown out or give up a ton of points because they're going to – they can obviously control the line of scrimmage with their uh, – with Muhammad Wilkerson, uh, Sheldon Richardson, and Leonard Williams. Um, that's not going to be the issue. The issue is uh, how, what kind of offense are they going to have? I mean, what, I have, I really have no idea how they're going to move the ball. Yeah, that's a big question because, you know, their uh, two best uh, weapons, Brandon Marshall and uh, Decker, are no longer with the team. Uh, they have question mark at quarterback. Um you know, nobody knows what they're really going to do there. Um, whoever their running back and their field goal kicker is, they're going to probably be their best two offensive players once the season is over with, because that, that's probably what it's going to come down to. Um, they're going to try to start every game off, you know, sticking with the running game and then maybe trying to make a play or two over the top um, after they've established a run. And um, with lack of receivers, anybody is really, except for um, the kid who was a rookie last year, kind of branding. Uh, Marshall Clone, you know, he may have a big season down in the red zone, but I see them kicking a lot of field goals just because, you know, their offense stalls out and the shorter field you can, you know, the main people you need to cover, it's a little bit easier to cover them once you get to a short field. So, yeah, the Jets could, you know, lose a lot of games by three points, seven points, ten points, but I like you. I don't think they're going to get, you know, blown out. I don't think you're going to see any 31 to threes or anything like that too often. Yeah, I see them um, make the most. I have them at projected at five wins, and I can't see them getting to five. I would say probably three and 13 ball bounces. Um, but the thing with the Jets is they have to decide very early, and this is more of a scouting department general manager. This has nothing to do with the actual on field because, you know, if everybody projects you're going to be bad, they have to identify right now is there a quarterback that we want in this draft, and how bad do we have to be to get them? Do, can we be? you know, six and 10 bad and still get them? Or do we have to be two and 14 bad to be able to get them? And that's kind of where they need to kind of be thinking because as with most teams, that's the one position that's the hardest to ever get is the quarterback. You know, it's real easy to look at a running back and say, yep, that's our running back. Yep. That's our DN. Yep. That's our left tackle. Quarterback just doesn't seem to work that way for most teams. So you have to start kind of thinking three, four seasons ahead, maybe two seasons ahead like right now because the Jets are in that mode where if Bowles doesn't do well, he's probably going to get fired. So new coach, new quarterback, you know, it all works in together usually. So if I was the Jets front office, that's where I would, where my head would be at. I would be thinking draft and who is the quarterback that we can realistically want and where do we have to finish to get him? Okay. Um, we're going to give you a schedule idea. Um, as we know, um, all the teams in this division will play against the AFC of course, AFC East twice, the NFC South, the AFC West, and then two teams that finished in the same spot they did that are not in those three different divisions. So, for example, so that means that the Patriots are going to play Dallas? Um, no, they got Atlanta and they got Houston. Oh, y'all got lucky. <laughs> y'all got so lucky. I'm, I'm looking forward to the Oakland-New England game. And that game is actually going to be in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. And it's actually Sam, and it's actually um, the third of three consecutive road games uh, in that late season stretch where they play uh, five of seven on you know on the road or in neutral territory. So, so uh, there is your threat 
Um, me personally, um, if I were to pick, having seen the schedule, um, I would say uh, Patriots go 13 to three. Um, you got a uh, prediction? Give, give me a second. I'll give you this. I will give you the schedule. Uh, man, I think they're going to do the same thing they did last year 14 and two. Um, you know, if you don't get them in the very first game, then you probably won't get them until they start resting players at the end or, you know, Tom starts playing half right there towards the end of the season before, you know, they start resting folks. But, um, you know, unless something major, major happens to Tom Brady between now and, you know, the regular season starting or the first game, I, yeah, it's going to be hard for anybody to really just, they keep their health intact to be close to them. All right. So the Patriots go uh, Chiefs at Saints, uh, Texans, Panthers at Bucks at Jets, Falcons at home on October 22nd, Chargers at Broncos on November 12th, uh, Raiders in Mexico on November 19th, Thanksgiving weekend, Dolphins come to town at Bills, Dolphins again on December, at Dolphins December 11th, at the Steelers on uh, on December 17th. Uh, last two games are at home against the Bills uh, Christmas Eve and then uh, New Year's Eve to close out the regular season, the um, home against the Jets. So it's not bad. So the way that I handicap football games is a lot of times I just basically break it down to the most simplest common denominator. Who has the best quarterback? And out of all those 16 games you just named, nobody has a better quarterback than Tom Brady. No. Nah. And any of those teams. So that's the reason why I think the Patriots are going to win more games than they lose, just because – now, if you run like my team's schedule up against the teams they're going to play this year, you know, six or seven of those games, I'll be like, yeah, Kirk Cousins is not better than this guy. Mm-hmm. Automatically replaying from a deficit because, you know what I'm saying, I expect the opposite quarterback to make more plays than Cousins does. So, you know, that's kind of, if you're a Patriots fan, you have to feel so good in every game because you got the best player on both teams every time you, you know, every time the ball gets, you know, kicked off. All right. We're going to go to the uh, Miami Dolphins game-by-game schedule. Um, opening weekend, uh, this is already interesting. They start with the Buccaneers coming into town and Jameis Winston. Uh, then they get Phillip Rivers and the char- at the Chargers um, at Jets, home against the Saints on October 1st. Uh, Titans come into Miami on October 8th. Then they're at the Falcons. Uh, then they're home against the Dolphins. At the Ravens on the 26th, uh, uh, they get Oakland on the on November 5th. At Panthers on the 13th. At Patriots on the 26th. Broncos on December 3rd. Patriots at home on December 11th. At Bills. Uh, at Chiefs, and then the Bills come home on, on New Year's Eve. So that little that little right in the midst that uh, towards the end, that's pretty rough. Uh, Baltimore, Oakland, Char- uh, Carolina, New England. Uh, Denver and then New England again. Ouch. Yeah, this is, these are the Dolphins we're talking about, right? Uh huh. Yeah, see, again, like when you look at most of these teams, Tannehill's not going to be better than a lot of these quarterbacks. He may be better than Simeon, but that sucks on his part because Denver's defense is so good, it may negate that advantage that he would have. So that automatically is another game that, you know, he's going to be facing a deficit. Um, yeah, their schedule's kind of rough. Yeah. I, Dolphins, yeah. The, yeah, they'll be lucky if they get in the nine. Because I think it'd be the Titans. Um, the Saints are a very interesting team. I am 
very interested to see kind of what they look like just with having Adrian Peterson and knowing that um, and Mark Ingram and knowing that Sean Payton really ain't, you know, a run running type of offensive coordinator, play caller guy. He likes to throw the ball. So we'll see, you know, just how that's going to work out. So yeah, the, the, now that I see this in front of me, yeah, if they go eight and eight, that's a good season for them. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to say that this year, the ball does not bounce their way as many times as it did last year. I'm going to put them at six and 10. Uh, the next schedule we look at will be the Buffalo Bills. And and actually, speaking of the uh, schedule not doing the Dolphins any favors, while the Patriots get the Texans and uh, and Falcons both at home, Miami's got to go to Baltimore and go to Atlanta. Um, the Bills get the um, – they start out interesting, get an interesting start. They start uh, – uh, they get the Jets at home at Carolina, uh, Broncos at home, at Falcons, at Bengals, Buccaneers at home, Raiders at home, at Jets. Uh, November 12th, uh, Saints come in, at Chargers, at Chiefs. Uh, then they got home with the Patriots, Colts, and Dolphins. That's a nice little three-game string at, at the home. Maybe you can pull an upset or two there. And then the last two games, at Patriots, at Dolphins. Very interesting. Um, they should beat the Jets, so that's two wins they should get. Um, I think defensively they're a little bit better than Miami, so that's at least another win they should have. After, you know, that's probably split with Miami. So they're up to three, and I think San Diego is going to be an easy mark this year. Uh, you know, Philip Rivers, he's got interception problems. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, again, it looks like based on just looking at it now without people being injured and, and teams not playing any football that means anything, it looks like it's going to be a, a tough road for Buffalo to get to six wins. I think they're going to get five and 11. I, I think, I think five and 11 too. Um, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at splits with, um, with both Miami and um, sweep the Jets split with Miami lose twice to Buffalo. I think they can upset the saints at home. And I think they're going to steal one between the Colts and the Chiefs. They'll steal one of those two. So, yeah, that's about 5 and 11. And maybe if they can beat the Buccaneers, 6 and 10. But, yeah, that's about right. And we really don't have to look at the Jets because we know that they're not going to get above 5. <laughs> but just out of courtesy, the Jets will, have, will start the season. <laughs> oh, boy. They're at Buffalo, at at Oakland, I think we just need to count. We need to try to count the wins as we go. At Buffalo, at Oakland, Dolphins, uh, Jaguars at home, at the Browns. There's your first win. Um, Patriots come in on the fifth on October fifteenth uh, at Dolphins. They might be able to beat the Browns. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I see Browns. Um, they, might be able to beat, they might be able to beat Jacksonville too because I mean yeah. they're not. I mean, that's they're not beaters over there. Jacksonville at home. Yeah, I guess they still always start slow, though. This is true, yeah, and they always start so slow. And they beat them last year too. Um, <laughs> okay, so that's possibly two wins. Uh, the fifteenth, you got the uh, Patriots. Twenty second at Dolphins. Um, then you got the Falcons on the 29th. Uh, Buffalo comes in. Then they go at the Bucks. Then um, then you got two home games with the Panthers and the Chiefs. December 10th, they're at the Broncos, at Saints, uh, Christmas Eve, the Chargers come to town, and then they finish the season 
with the rivalry uh, at the New England Patriots. And I am struggling to find two more wins. See, the Saints and Chargers are going to be the two wild cards because at that point in the season, they might be in like shutdown mode. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, I, I don't really see the Chargers being that good this year. So, you know, they could that, that could be one of those, you know, draft pick position games towards mm-hmm. the end of the season. Yep. And those always get tricky. Um, you know, especially if if um if um my man Bowles is out here trying to save his job, you know what I'm saying? So you, you know, you might that might sneak in two extra ones and end up five and eleven when, you know, they probably really should have been three and thirteen or two and fourteen. I'm gonna stick with my guns. I'm gonna give him two wins. I'm gonna give him two and fourteen and put them on the clock for the twenty eighteen draft. Uh you say five and um five and you wanna say four and twelve or five and eleven. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go just four and twelve. I, I think that they're gonna they're gonna sneak I mean, Jacksonville's an easy mark in the beginning of the season. That first Miami game, because you know, that's a a rivalry type game between Jets and the Dolphins. So, you know, that first one will be a toss up. Anything crazy can happen. Um, like I said, New Orleans towards the end of the season, I, I don't know. There's just such a – I don't have a read on what they're going to be. So they may be, you know, a team that kind of gives up an easy win to a bad team late in the season. So, yeah, they may get a couple – and then, of course, they should be Cleveland. I, I think they're better than Cleveland. So, you know, that's four wins right there, so four and 12. All right. Um, well, that wraps up our predictions um, for the AFC East. Uh, just to recap, um, I have New England at 13 and 3. Uh, Don has them at 14 and 2. Um, Miami, I have the Dolphins at 6 and 10. Uh, Don has them at 8 and 8. We both have the Bills at 5 and 11. Um, I have the Jets at 2 and 14. And Don has them going 4 and 12. Now, just wanted to remind you quickly that uh, due to our producers being on vacation, um, we will not have a show on air next week. Um, so we will double up on our previews. We'll likely wrap. We'll take two divisions out of the AFC, probably the Central and well, the North and the uh, the North and the South, um, as we uh, continue our football preview. So uh, our next date that will hear us will be uh, not next week on August the sixth, but likely be August the thirteenth as we continue our preview on the National Football League. Just remember that you're always invited to hear us here on KTS Pod. Uh, Our Twitter is at KTS Pod. And don't forget to download us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Podomatic, and on SoundCloud. Uh, We've come to the point where we're going to give our final thoughts. Uh, Don, anything beyond this week uh, as of interest or anything in sports that you want to reflect on? Uh, so the Yankees, uh, the baseball uh, is really starting to heat up. The races in the American League are starting to get really good. The Royals have won nine in a row, and now they're just a half game back of the Indians. Um, you've got the Yankees. They've been hot. They've overtaken the Red Sox. They're up by half a game. Um, in the National League, you've got the Cubs and the Brewers are having a, a big series this weekend. Uh, the Cubs have came out the All-Star break, All-Star break really hot. Uh, there's something like 11 and two before yesterday and they lost their first uh, game in the series to the Brewers. So the Brewers are a half game back. And um, last but not least, just give a tip of the cat to the Dodgers. I mean, they're playing just crazy, ridiculous baseball right now. 73 and 31. Um, just really fun to watch and, and getting it from, you know, hitting pitch and defense. So, you know, get baseball getting here to the end of July, getting into August, getting into the dog days. And, uh, 
So things are heating up, and the trade deadline is Monday. So we'll see if uh, anybody makes a major move to kind of improve themselves. Still waiting on the Nationals if they're going to make another move uh, to improve their bullpen or not. Um, but other than that, man, um, I'm really looking forward to this baseball playoff coming up. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, new teams, always excitement when it comes to baseball playoffs. I'm going to um, focus my final thought on a rivalry that uh, has become budding interest of the country in a budding sport. Um, we're going to talk about UFC. And there's a, um, by the time you hear this on Sunday, um, the fight will have already taken place. But what I'm going to talk about just doesn't necessarily have to do with what's in the octagon, but what's outside it. Of course, we're talking about John Bones Jones going up against Daniel Cormier in the light heavyweight championship. Um, this is another story in sports where uh, I believe that we give our athletes second chances um, before we give our own citizens uh, second chances. I mean, me personally, I believe in them. Um, I think we all have stories in our life where uh, we have, you know, friends or family members that, you know, make bad decisions, um, but they're still among us and living. And because they, you know, they have a job to do, and that is to be a successful member of society, despite their past and despite their, you know, whatever wrongs they may have done. Um, I think that the fight is a symbol of uh, John Jones' chance at a road to not only uh, personal recovery, but just um, not only physical recovery, but mental recovery as well. Um, I believe that in, t- in cases like his, um, we need to uh, stand behind this guy as a person. Um, you know, he's a lot of people feel that, you know, he's at fault of making bad decisions, and, and that's true. However, uh, this is a chance where he can redeem himself and be at least on the road to redeeming himself in his personal life and get back to uh, entertaining millions and millions of fans who, you know, obviously, no doubt, have a respect and an admiration for him because of his, uh, quote unquote, God given talent. Um, You know, his family is athletically inclined. His brother is an outstanding player in the NFL, uh, Chandler Jones. So, he's been in that spotlight before his family's in the spotlight. So is he's going to have people that root for him just because, um, I also give Daniel Cormier, his opponent, some immense credit for, uh, not really, uh, burying Jones when he had the chance after Jones, uh, repeatedly failed uh, drug tests. Um, he has been an advocate for the fight. I mean, I know you have your promotional rivalries and, you know, things that are going to be said in the, in the realm of promotion. I mean, we're dealing with that now with Conor McGregor and, and Floyd Mayweather, but Cormier has been nothing but a class act with John, even outside of the UFC ring. Uh, but we hope that John steps up to the plate as far as being a competitive fighter for one, making this a good fight and then continuing after the fight to uh, regain his, his position as one of the top fighters in the UFC. And more importantly, regaining his position as a man and as a citizen for myself for don de la rente for jesse at dasso jesse on twitter and for our host nebias wilborn and for our producer classic materia and of course our producer in emeritus in uh in melanie also known as b jackson i am tyler ball and now you know the score <laughs>